Welcome to Thrive, the podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking with Miroslav Petrovich, TEDx speaker and speaker trainer who created a company called Enlivened Speakers Institute, where he trains people around the world, really, on their stage presence and their presence in life. In this beautiful conversation, we explore how his journey of receptivity led him to not just create the company that he runs today and the work he does in the world today, but also unpack a very uncommon approach to living his life what that means in love and relationships and marriage and how that translates across the board to being powerful in our presence. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please share and subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. So Marislav, Welcome to Thrive, the podcast. I really was excited about you saying yes to being my guest here because I know a little bit about your story. I know a little bit about when you were growing up, you were very shy, and yet you've created this incredible world-class speakers embodiment training, and you speak on stages all around the world. And not only do you speak on stages all around the world, but you teach, well, I I don't even want to say you teach speaking because I don't (laughs) think that would be the truth. I think the truth is more that you teach people to become and to be in the embodiment of their being Mm. and to speak from that place. And, you know, I've, I've been to a few speaker trainings and, you can see the rote kind of methodology mm. that people are trained into delivering. And it just, there's no connection there for me when I'm experiencing that. So when I came into contact with you, when I was introduced to you through Shari, Shari L, I just experienced something completely different. So I'd love this today you know for you to share your story with people in terms of what you provide and also the journey that you've been on to get to where you are today and the role that your intuition has played in helping you bring what you offer to life Mm, thank you. I really appreciate the depth of your, I want to say listening, but it's more, more than just listening. It's the depth of your being to to receive the work so deeply. As I know, we've had a limited amount of, you know, um, time spent together or anything like that as you live on the other side of the world. So, yeah, just appreciating how deeply you receive that. Um. Is, do you have a, a gist of where you want me to to start? Like, what's what's of most interest to you? Well, I guess 
you know, we all begin in life in different, with different challenges. You know, often what we create isn't where we began. Mm. And, and when we're in those moments of origin, it's often that we doubt sometimes that we could even get where we dream of being. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the, the origin for me, um, I was born in, in Yugoslavia um, and around the age of four or five, the, the war broke out and we happened to live in Bosnia and we're fortunate enough to, fortunate enough to be refugees. It's, it's funny to say that that's a beneficial thing, but it was. And first we were refugees in Serbia for some amount of months. Um, and then after that, we managed to get visas to Australia. So, you know, I, I don't really remember much of this period. Um, I remember like when we came to Australia, we were living with maybe, I don't know, three, four, five other families in the one house in my uncle who, so I had an uncle that used to live in Australia. Um, and he basically sponsored, uh, a range of other families to um to to be here and as a child you don't really you know you have no sense of what's normal and what's not i don't even know what i thought back then but i have very like vivid memories of that experience of like you know a lot of us living there um having to go walk to the markets every day to to buy food because we're going for so much food um <laughs> After that, I remember um, my family and another family, we moved out to to live just the two of our families in one house. And this is kind of unheard of, you know, there was like two families, it was like, so what is that? Four adults and four children all living in like a normal house where you would have a normal sized family. So I used to sleep on the couch in the living room. Um, and because I was small, the push the couch up against the wall so I don't roll off it and I remember I had this tiny little black and white tv because we're all very poor when we got here and I grew up watching uh Captain Planet and all the other cartoons the kids in the school watched but I grew up watching it on my black and white tv so I had no concept of you know anything else and one day as I made friends I went to my friend's house to watch Captain Planet and I was absolutely distraught when I saw the Captain Planet was these silly colors like it was orange and green and yellow I was like, I would just, in my mind, he'd always just been, you know, normal colored, like, like anyone else you would see. So yeah, it's, it's, it's different, you know, and that, that was normal. Um, and growing up inside of that, I was also very shy outside of the family dynamic. And when I say shy, it was like, uh, people assumed I was mute a lot of the time because I just didn't speak if if I felt that introversion come on not a logical thing I just really kept it to myself um around around like friends and family and this is even going through through high school it was easier being myself um but whenever I was in any kind of social setting of more than one person I would really just pull back completely into myself and I had no control over it and there was a point in, in, I think, primary school that I had a speech pathologist come out to spend time with me. And I used to stutter a lot. Um, 
and I remember one times when when she came to check on me, my stuttering wasn't stuttering. Like I was just working fine, and I just managed to convince her I didn't need her anymore. And then, um, in my little self version, she just left me alone, and you know, she she stopped coming out to see me. Uh, and this was even like my year twelve. So you know, I would have been seventeen, eighteen at the time. My year twelve English teacher had to ask my friends if that was my real voice or I was putting on an accent. Um, and this this really went on until I found meditation. And there's a little interesting little bit to the story. And meditation kind of connected me to myself. And I was like, Jesus, this feels amazing. And firstly, why have I just gone through 18 years of schooling? You know, one told me this was possible. And a gratitude that perhaps that's changed or changing now. Uh, but also when I started experiencing meditation and that feeling of connection inside myself, the, the next obvious, I mean, desire or impulse was like, wow, this is great. And how do I connect to other people? How, and how do I have this while I'm connected to other people and going about my life? And the answer that kept coming up quickly was like, you have to start teaching and you have to start speaking. And that was, you know, it was like that hero's journey of looking back down the, the thing of like, oh, I don't want to go there. I just want to be comfortable in, in being connected. And life has really been like, and I mean, even, even my meditation teacher at the time, um, I remember we did this exercise and because I was shy and quiet, everyone else got paired off apart from me. I was sitting there awkwardly. And I was like, you come work with me. And this was, this was in, in the first few sessions of, of sitting with him. And we did this exercise and he was like, okay, you teach the exercise back to me. And I did it. And I just remember he, he used to wear these glasses. He pulled these glasses down to the tip of his nose. He looked at me. And he's like, you're a teacher. And I just felt like, oh, it's like <laughs> the, the in, um, inescapable feeling of being seen and also being like, shit, I don't really want anyone to see that part, regardless of the fact it feels good. There's just a truth in his sentiment. It was one of those like goosebump moments. Like, oh, there's, there's something in here that I really need to hear. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a point of tension, if you will. It's mm -hmm. like here's something, and then here's something else. I think we experience this in business all the time. It's like you want to grow your business. Well, here's the tension you're gonna to have to move towards. And for me, I think the spiritual self journey, whatever you want to call it, the hero's journey, is very similar. Like these points of tension show up, and then it's like, are we going to to move with where the aliveness and where the tension is, or do we just lean back into uh, what's comfortable I can keep going but I don't know if you want to direct yeah. the yeah well I'd just like to ask you know what were some of the thoughts that you had at that time you know you mentioned being seen and how uncomfortable it was and you didn't want to you didn't want to lean into that at first you know and what was for you you know we all have different places where we we're in resistance to our truth what was what was the resistance for you I can't I can't tell you logically what the resistance was because it was it was so precognitive. But it's like my throat would go tense. It's like a part of me was trying to run out of my body at the force of having attention. Uh and I mean it would almost be quite physically like my body wanting to to run away. And not like run away like a cartoon, but really like just wanting to shield myself from people's gaze and attention like not knowing what what to do with it 
and I'm, I'm speaking of a lot of this in past tense. I'm like, I can actually just reference it in now having been on this journey for over 15 years. Uh, I've been back to, to Serbia the last couple of years. I went as a kid and then I didn't go for about a decade. And then I went the last couple of years. And that moment when I'm in the airport queue and the people around me are speaking Serbian again, or I'm up on the airplane and the people next to me are speaking Serbian. It's like I'm experiencing the same stuff I used to. So the stuttering is still quite strong. And it's like feeling the nervous system come on. My throat gets tight. My breathing gets short. Um, usually there's a bit of tension in in parts of the body. Uh, and just being like, and now just watching it and being like, this is comical. Like I, I have a sense, I have a very embodied long-term sense that this isn't, who I am anymore and also watching that context of how without even being asked directly but just being in in whatever the impulses were in that uh environment that are obviously triggering something that's that's happened in those younger years that's just having my whole social system pull itself inwards and then just sitting there and breathing and being like you know it's okay here's here's a little cuddle for you um nothing's actually happening you don't even have to speak right now Mm-hmm. And allowing that to to gently kind of soften out and and find some sense of uh, equilibrium. Would you say that's a type of being plugged into the collective field? Like there's a shared collective energy resonance. You know, it's- yeah. As, as you ask me, what actually comes up is it feels like. So it feels like there's a part of me that's louder than I've been allowed to be. Mm. Specifically in that context. Uh, that, uh, it's weird. This is like a new insight, if you will, as, as you were just asking that question. I'm like, oh, it feels like who I want to be in my natural setting, I haven't been allowed to be. And to be that doesn't feel as safe. It's like, oh, I don't really know myself being more loud, more expressive, more social, like not holding back. And that environment is like, um, is pulling it out of me. And there's something in my nervous system that's, uh, you know, like on on the brakes with it. It's like, oh, this is scary to to come this far out. And I've had I've had like snippets of it where, you know, <laughs> oh God, this is a it's a story. And I'm like, how do I make the context shorter? But last year we were out having breakfast in in Serbia or somewhere in the Balkans and my partner ordered something and they brought it out and they originally told us she can have like, I don't know, dip eggs in a different type of way, but then they brought them out the same way. And me and the waiter got into an argument we were yelling at each other. And then I talked, I turned back to her and just started continuing the conversation as normal. And she was like, what was all that about? I'm like, Oh, we're just talking about how the mushroom shouldn't be in the eggs. And in my system, it was like this big expression, but it just landed as absolutely normal. And Serbia can be quite, um, loud in the way people express themselves but it's not personal even when it gets loud and it was just like this effortless fusing into the culture and it was no big deal and then coming back to her not even noticing like the uh the non-normal way like you would never communicate like that in a western country like you know in australia you you that's not a thing to to raise your voice about it's like okay cool we can do that fine anyway quite the contradiction on the one hand you're on the plane and you're feeling the constriction and you're not wanting to be seen and you're not wanting to be vocal and yet actually in the daily environment it's quite loud and people are very passionately expressed yeah 
Curious. How did this all lead for, lead you into speaking being your business? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, like I mentioned, the, the meditation piece started first, and it all started with teaching meditation. And that, and I mean, this whole path opened organically, regardless of my my resistance. So I had friends from school that would be asking me, like, "Hey, when when are you going to start teaching this? I'd love to learn meditation from you." Um, and there was a part of me that's like, I can't teach this. And also having my teacher say, you know, you, you should be teaching this. And just this like very natural way of people were like, well, can I just come over and you teach me how to meditate? And I was like, okay. So my first bit of meditation sessions, you know, started in, in my bedroom in my parents' home. Um, and, you know, it was, it was beautiful. Like all my friends that lived in the area would come over and we'd meditate and, uh, at one point, there was a few iterations of this. I remember even my mum was coming downstairs to to meditate with us. It was really beautiful. And honestly, like, it just led from one thing to another. Um, at one point, I started running uh, events centered around this idea of uh, authentic connection, if you will, whatever words we want to wrap that in. But I kind of realized the more we open up and the more we connect to who we are and connect to each other from that place, it's like you don't really need alcohol or any of the other things that prohibit that. So we started putting on events for for people to do this. And it, it, it first it was in, in nightclubs. Um, and around this time, I was running like smaller workshops as well. And then from nightclubs, I was like, we don't really need the alcohol piece. Mm-hmm. And it just creates more mess, if anything. So we took that out of the nightclub, became a big new year's eve event like two three hundred people and for me to get to that stage of running a two or three hundred person event with very minimal budget meant a lot of talking to sponsors um enrolling people into the idea doing a lot of smaller talks if you want in front of groups of people like hey this is what we want to build do you want to be involved and you know we had groups of volunteers of anywhere from like 30 40 50 people per event so it was a lot of time connecting, speaking, leading without having a degree or a certificate to say, you know, you are now an events producer. It was like, that was just what was pouring out of me. Uh, and funnily enough, in meditation, like when I when I left, I used to do, I had my secure job as a graphic designer a couple of days a week, photography and graphic design. And I remember one day I sat down to teach a meditation class and I just couldn't stop laughing. And the students, these were like ongoing students I'd had for a while. They were like, what's up? I was like, I I can't. I can't do this anymore. And that this feeling to do this event, it's just kind of like it wants my attention. Like It was like drop your everyday job. Go out into the abyss for the first time. Like I've been running a business on the side, but it's very different doing a hobby business compared to having to pay your rent and food from having to make the business work. I was like, I just have to do this thing. Um, and that was an event that we ran for a few years and it got media coverage and was in, in the news and stuff like that. And being like doing, doing that event, I realized I'm like, I don't really want to produce events as much as I want to speak. The favorite moments for me of that event are when, when I'm kind of speaking and leading and even more importantly, when I'm on stage and everyone's arrived. And we're going through this collective experience together. I was like, out of the, you know, 
six weeks worth of work that I spend that 20 minutes on stage. I'm like, I'm doing all the other work just for those 20 minutes. And maybe I can just stop that and focus more on this, which is another level of, of you know, feeling that tension point mm-hmm. and dropping everything I've built again to follow this thread of like, okay, what does it mean to be a speaker? Mm-hmm. How, so, how do I make this thing work? So at that point you were still speaking about meditation or it had evolved into something else? No, at, at that point it was speaking about what, what needed to be spoken about for those stages. So on some level, it was speaking about the vision and enrolling people into being part of the vision. So in terms of team sponsors, uh, people to come along, that kind of stuff. And then at the event itself, it was just enrolling people into their heart. Mm. Like what, what, would, what it would mean for them to be connected to their heart as, you know, a source of experience and expression over the next six or seven hours, however long the, the event mm. was. Mm. So your speaking career really took off from there, from that point. Yeah, it was really like lots of like, you know, one step after another and being like, okay, this is yeah, this is the direction we want to go in. Yeah. What does it mean to live from your heart? to have courage and to trust the unknown or the mystery in the path it's taking you even when you don't know the path yourself and where has that led you as you followed it other than obviously evolving into your business that you run today. I think it's really given me everything in my life. You know, I've I've got a very committed relationship that we've been together. It's approaching four years now. Uh, we got engaged last year. We're about to get married. Um Like the the living situation that we have, we live in this beautiful little hill overlooking um, the mountain. Having my own space to to meditate, like a separate space outside the house where that can happen, and it's it's really like acknowledging a lot of deep desires have come home inside me. That's a really interesting point that you raise because, you know, we all have different experience of this. I just know that in my own experience, there was this right way path. Yeah, there was this path of how you should live and going on my own path was a source of enormous shame and shaming. And I think I'm not alone in that experience where people can feel a pull or a desire and yet they are too afraid at times to listen to that because it's going to upset someone else. It's going to ruffle too many feathers. It's going to, or for the fear of failure even, 
that, you know, it couldn't possibly be true. What they desire couldn't possibly be true because that's not how real life works. Mm. You know, real life comes with responsibilities and a set way to do things in order to make sure that you've covered XYZ bases. And yet whenever we follow that prescriptive path, for many people, including myself, it's it doesn't lead where we wish it would and where we intend it to. Mm. Yeah. I'm just thinking like my whole my whole journey, even with relating, I left a, a relationship that was very comfortable. Um, you know, that was just getting better with time, really. And if you looked at it from the outside, you'd be like, you know, thumbs up. And internally, I was like something in my soul just knows that there's another chapter like this. This isn't it. And I can't deny that. And my current partner kept showing up in the back of my mind. And this went on for like at least a year. And, you know, I tried all the things, tried meditating, tried being impartial, allowing it to pass, tried like, okay, what if I move my energy to that? And in the end, I was like, whatever the symbolism is of her showing up there, I have to move towards this. And I also had to accept that, you know, we had some very contrasting values as well around relating. I'm like, I can't see this becoming a relationship, but I have to move towards it either way um, just because I'm I'm trusting that in a pool. And I kind of accepted like either something's going to come of this or the next piece will open up to me after I, I move towards whatever she's been holding. And a lot of things opened up for me there. Yeah. I just have this question. Are you saying that in your with your current partner, there were these contrasting values? Uh, so before we were together, yeah, her her relationship to to relating was a lot more polyamorous, and mine was a lot more monogamous. Mm. And you know, when we got together, it was like, oh, what life! And this was like over weeks and months. It was like this feeling of whatever polarity we've been sitting on here, um, life is asking us to acclimatize this. Like, can we hold both and neither of those points and just be open to trusting the the mystery or trusting the life of our relationship? That's a really interesting approach to relationship. Tell me more. <laughs> well, what can I say? Well, what, what do you want to know? Well, it's just, I mean, very different to, you know, again, it's the listening deeply, isn't it? Mm. It's the, and it's not even listening to one another necessarily. Yeah. It's, beyond that it's listening within and, and so it's amazing like how when we're being honest with that part uh it's like there's there's a magic that that just shows up like recently we've been more in the monogamous space for the the past few months and the other day um i just had this thought spontaneously I'm like oh, i feel like i feel like hey if she wants to connect with this particular person and then um later that evening evening we had a chat and she brought it up she was like ah oh, it's been coming up to connect with this person and even though like that like I, I don't know what's going to happen there but beyond the point it's like that moment of insight or truth like it just showed itself purely to both of us and it's like all right 
the the continual game of can I allow you know my insecurities to to flow through life as opposed to hanging on to them that's really interesting as well because I guess in most normal if I can say that in inverted brackets normal type of scenarios in any relationship you know mainstream let's say anything like that is just like whoa so you're out the door that's end of like see ya bye end of relationship you know so what you're talking to here is a very very different approach to loving someone essentially and possibly even loving yourself in a different way that enables you to embrace your partner's curiosity and interest instead of shutting it down and judging it, fearing it and running away from it or shaming them and blaming them. That's radically different to the mainstream way of being in relationship like mm. rad radically I think you probably know that but you it's a path that you've chosen and it's a path that you've lived so it's not novel to you whereas I'd imagine that to many people who might listen to this this could be a very confronting um mm thought yeah and you know even to me at some point it was confronting and there was a an acknowledgement of like this is what feels true regardless of what i want it's like if i bow down to life whatever this piece was it's like you know if it's a hero's journey it's like that's where the sword was anchored it's like if you want to pull the sword from the stone this is the path you have to walk and it's like, you know, we could say you get the choice. And sure, it's like I could have chosen not to walk this path. But it's like there's also a sense of um, the recognition of how much more true this path was than the path I was fantasizing about before this came along. And I also feel to chime in, you know, I've had the conversations with a lot of people on this topic. Like for me, there's been a lot of descripting of mainstream cultural unexamined values around, you know, relating styles. And also one of the things I find very common is people are like, well, that's not normal, but cheating on each other unconsensually is very normal. Like that's the socially accepted thing predominantly in societies. And you hear about it all the time. And I'm like, wow, you know, the, the, there was a friend that was speaking to us recently in her marriage. She offered her husband for them to open up the relationship and this ex-husband and he chose not to take that, probably because of how much more confronting it is to live with that openly and just cheat on her instead. And that really pains me. It's like that taking this stuff under the surface is how we're choosing to deal with it, as opposed to just embracing it. And like, yes, it's harder. Yes, maybe it's more vulnerable. I mean, I don't know. I've I've never gone through a long cycle of, of cheating, but I don't imagine that's easy for anyone. Uh but just like how perhaps more courage it takes to put this stuff out there into the world and say, hey, I have desire for someone else or I don't want to be with you anymore or whatever the thing is and put yourself through the initiation um, willingly as opposed to asking other people to hold that point because you don't have the courage. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I th I think there's so many nuances to this particular conversation, depending on what your position is, not just what your preference is, but what, I don't know how a better way to say this, like what's on your plate, as it were. Mm. You know, it's um, when I was younger and I had children, for example, then my, what was on my plate was, you know, not just my own needs, but what they needed and how do I meet those needs and mm -hmm. how do I depend on somebody to help me meet those needs. And, you know, a lot of it never even got discussed. It was in a habit of presumption and that presumption led to a lot of conflict, you know, because, because it wasn't even being discussed in any way. And, and even in conversation in relationship now, I find when we go for the, just the communication, we're not even doing anything at this point, right? We're just trying to raise the topic. We're just having the conversation and already the defense comes up. So before you can bring the topic, bring the conversation to any level of openness, you're getting the defense and the defense is usually attack. So getting to a point of holding an open space for exploration, just in a conversation, let alone anywhere else, is almost like a massive, feels like an accomplishment, I want to say. I don't know if that would be accurate, but it, it feels like that, you know? And it feels like something that keeps you alive and on edge, even on a stage, even in your teaching, even in speaking, in a way where when we don't give ourselves that opportunity to be in connection with our desire, with our truth, we've ended up sort of bottling it and it becomes this energy that's contained and suppressed. And then there's no actual aliveness because we have to numb. We have to numb everything down. Mm. I mean, I, I will add as well. I feel like sometimes the that unfaithfulness in relationship dynamics is just the only way for a really stuck situation to move because people don't have that capacity or skill set to meet it socially and for all these reasons you're saying as well like it's it's not even a space where a conversation can happen like there needs to be enough capacity for that and i can imagine there's a lot of context where that's uh, mm. simply not available to mm. my observation of that is when we jump to judgment when we jump to blaming when we jump to shaming when we jump to punishment and, and that's how our society is built. From my observation, you know, our society is very much blame, shame, punish, reward. And we get this from the minute we enter school. Maybe we get it at home as well. But sure enough, the minute we're in school, there's a structure to that. And the foundation of it is those four points. So it's a conditioning that we go through. And so often we don't ever even question that conditioning. We believe that that is fundamentally the pillars of society. It's what makes our society great and good. 
when in fact mm. if we were to pull down the veil of illusion there's no such thing as that it's, you know mm, yeah <clears throat> i also think for me one of the mm, the tenants for my work if you will I remember when I first started getting on stages more regularly and people were like, Marisla, what you're doing is amazing. I haven't really seen or experienced this before. Um, or like, how how do you do that thing? And I, I mean, early on, this was just like, I was getting on stage without notes, without slides. And the words just flowed through me like it was a meditation. There was a bit of preparation in terms of time spent uh, meditating or letting forth allowing forth the the inspiration through me to be like okay with this particular people it wants to be shared and expressed <clears throat> but because i wasn't relying on all those other things and i was just being in connection with people like the, the state of being in the state of connection was very different than what most people had experienced and as people were asking me th this question there's a feeling there for me it's like i'm not doing anything different than i'm doing the rest of my life like I'm living my life as much as I can to keep expressing what feels alive, even when it's um, uncomfortable or when it takes, there's a lot of fear and courage and stuff like that. And I think it's a lot of these smaller conversations and integrating a lifestyle of that, which help us be ourselves on stage. Because now it's like, whether the stage is your home or it's in front of 200 people, it's like that part of you that's committed to speaking what's alive. Um, it's already had the training. It's not like, oh shit, I've been, you know, not not being this version of me and now I have to be it on stage. It's like, the, you can't, you can't fight your nervous system. You just have to allow these moments to integrate as, um, as life gives you opportunities to. So in a way we have to be connected to our body, right? And our feeling, because otherwise if that's shut down, if that's been shamed out of the door, we, we're not gonna pick it up, you know, or we're yeah. gonna misinterpret it completely. And then we can't lean into it. We can't let alone even express it. And that you're right. I mean, from what you've just shared there, and if I look and observe my life in any context, it's am I in contact with what am I feeling right now? Or am I completely disassociated, trying to bottle it down, trying to keep the lid on it so that I don't cause anyone offense or so that I don't even confront my own inner for want of a better description, demon, you know, inner fear, as it were. Mm. Yeah. When you're on stage and there's a lot of energy coming at you, maybe you've got a room full of angry people or something. I know that wouldn't probably be the typical scenario <laughs> in the circles that you work in. But just for purposes of, you know, illustration, what do you do with an energy like that? You know, if it's all coming at you. As much as possible, you let them move through. You know, I've never been in a room full of angry people. I find if someone doesn't like what I or anyone else is saying, they just tend to leave the room, you know. <laughs> so it's like sometimes it's just about giving people a two-minute break so the ones that don't want to be there do leave. Uh, I've definitely had, you know, people that don't want to be there, sometimes angry people, sometimes argumentative people, sometimes people willingly and enthusiastically being disruptive because they're so excited about the thing that's happening. And like both for myself and what I train students or 
clients, other speakers, is to as much as possible not take any of it personally. Like you're there to deliver a message to the audience and the less you can make it about you, the easier the whole process is. And this means sometimes you have to express yourself in a way that's not comfortable and that can be okay. And uh, other times it means really deep listening to where these people are and how can I best allow this message to to touch them. But I mean, the, the, there's a few stories I can sprinkle in there. <clears throat> I remember one one particular event, there was a few women in the first row that were being particularly disruptive. Uh, everyone had goodie bags at this event. They were checking their phones. They were ruffling their, their lollies. And, you know, it was very audible. And I, I, I can't remember what I said, but I made some smart last comments. Um, and they got like, and it wasn't to warrant an upset. Like it was smart last was a bit funny. It was cheeky. And I, I was very obvious that I was being cheeky with it. And they were like, you know, the shoulders got all up and they got all like, and stormed off out of the room and the moment they left the room the whole room just felt felt as if it fell into the palm of my hand and I was like oh my god wow I didn't realize up until that point I was trying to win everyone over and because of that and I didn't really want to be there I was fighting this kind of energetic uh mm -hmm. tug of war with the room and the moment they left off it's like the rest of the room just fell into me I was like, now we can just be ourselves like that, you know, on some level, they didn't really want to be there. And it just felt cleaner for everyone when, when they left the room because everyone else did want to be there. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing about denial, I suppose. Are we in touch with what is true for us or are we in some sort of denial based on, on you know, pleasing someone else or whatever it is? That's a really interesting point about energy as well and the power of containing the energy in a way. Not that you were containing it, but it naturally became contained when it was in resonance with everyone. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, and some, some contexts you also can't do that in, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. If you're in a school and the students are forced to be there, like it's a different organism that you're working with. Very, very much. And I, I see that that causes so much conflict. It causes so much exhaustion for the teachers, the parents and the children. Hmm. It's a burnout system for everyone concerned. And it's, you know, it's, I've been having some conversations around that with people who work in that area, just to look at, you know, what could be created differently. And there are some incredible people creating things differently in that space, but it's, they're creating it in their own space, you know, rather than trying to create it within that space. Mm -hmm. um, it's a bit like, you know, I think it's Bookmaster Fuller. He says, if you want a bit, if you want something to change, don't try to change what exists, build a new system and make the old system obsolete. And, you know, that's what I feel a lot of people are being called to do now, whether they've acknowledged that or not, it's to tap into their, their gift, their uniqueness to play their role, play their part, if they so choose to, to pick up their unique gift in, and bring that alive for everyone. Yeah. Mm. So I'll put your link to your website. It's in Embodiment Speakers Training, isn't it? Your no, it's an Enlivened Speaking Institute. Enlivened Speaking Institute. Yeah, I went for Enlivened because I was like, embodiment with all due respect, sometimes it's just boring. And I'm like, I'm not interested. Like embodiment, it's like meditation embodiment for me. Uh, 
are pathways to living a life that's more connected. And the word that I came up with, that feeling of connection is enlivenment. Mm. And when I say enlivenment, I'm like, sometimes it's silent, sometimes it's very expressive, but it's that undertone that we've been speaking about. It's like, oh, this this feels alive. This is where the path is pulling me, even when it's silent. Mm. And so what are the ways that people can train with you through that? Is it online? Is it over in Australia? What's the way that people can come and experience? So we do everything from like courses that have been pre pre-recorded evergreen kind of stuff to uh in-person multi-month containers um that's a fusion of in-person and online there's a number of different programs and i'm in the process of creating a new one as well occasionally i do run stuff in other countries when i'm traveling but it's it's mostly around australian winter um Mm. i like to get out of the cold (laughs) i usually what i say to people if it's something you're interested in it's best reach out and I can kind of point you to what might work for you as it's very different for someone starting out and someone that's been doing this for you know years if not decades what they need and where they're at is a very different um, inquiry also I think it's worth touching on this while we're still here you know a lot of your work isn't just about speaking from your authentic self it's also tapping into the energetics of our sexual energy and how that, you know, is, is almost like, how would you describe that? A relationship to life. Um, a lot of, I mean, I feel like we could keep speaking on hours and it would be very engaging for, for both of us. But for me, there's, there's a disconnection between sexuality and the innocence of sexual energy. And how very different sexuality becomes when we allow the innocence of our sexuality to move through. And I mean, the innocence of sexual energy is is like childlike innocence. It's just like um, absolutely pure when it starts moving through us. And then you start realizing how much other stuff we've clumped on top of yeah. that to that creates all the perversion around sexuality. Yeah. Um, and the beauty and the need for the pulling back of those layers because it's like something pure and true can come through us. And it's more of a felt sense mm-hmm. than, than anything, like especially when you're talking about this, the stage, like a relationship to allow, to allowing that part of us to move through. It doesn't mean like, you know, dressing a certain way or putting on makeup or like all of these external forms of it. It's like, just, it's just, can I allow my innocence to move through me? Yeah. Yeah, uh, this is a much bigger question. Like answering this in two minutes is tricky. Usually, uh, it, it helps when people have an embodied experience of it, and it's like, oh wow, I I get it now. But I mean, in a nutshell, that that kind of covers it. Because mm. I think essentially what we're all uh, learn yearning for is is connection. And mm. I think a lot of the reason why most of us do the things we do in our life is for some kind of connection, or the assumption that doing the thing will get us a connection. And sometimes this can be like you know if I do this, my parents will be proud of me and someone builds, I don't know, a business or whatever to, to get that seeking of approval and connection. Sometimes we need to go through that path just to discover like, wow, all my little boy ever wanted was for dad to say he's proud of me. And because of that, I built like all these things, just seeking that kind of connection. And sometimes the the connection is a lot simple. It's like, you know, just not wanting to feel alone, wanting to know there's other people journeying this path in their own way. Mm. Yeah. 
you're right. We could talk a lot longer on this, on all of this. So you'll have to come back so we can have another conversation. It's the only solution. Um, thank you. Thank you for joining me at a super early time in your morning. And um, I look forward to having a deepening conversation. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm just going to say if anyone did want to connect, uh, any social media thing, well, Instagram is the Mirrors Live experience, but otherwise, Mirrors Live Petrovich, just reach out, say hi. Um, and thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. So I really appreciate the place you're having these conversations from. It's a lot deeper than a lot of what's out there. Mm, thank you. I'm really loving it. And um, yeah, I'm excited for where and what one, what will evolve in this space for everyone, for guests, for myself, and for people listening. Yeah, thank you. Mm, thank you.